The following sermon is brought to you by Cornerstone Baptist Church. For more information on our teaching and preaching ministry, visit us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. You will please turn to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 17 as a way of a reminder again. And it reads, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Amen. That is the genealogy of Christ, and it has been fulfilled. Uh, This is part two, so an emphasis or focus will be uh, supposed to be at verse 12 through 17, but I'm going to back up a little bit and go up to uh, Jeconiah. We didn't talk about him this morning, and there's something very significant to point out about the genealogy with him. Uh, But by way of review, remember that in this morning... um, We talked about Matthew as a genre. It is a gospel. Uh, Matthew's giving this genealogy to reveal about Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, the promised uh, Messiah of God, the anointed. Uh, He writes for the same purpose that all the gospels write, and it's that we might believe in Jesus Christ. It says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that's from John 20, verse 31. So this is intended to goad you, to remind you, to call you, to point to Jesus Christ and tell you, it is him in whom you must put your trust for all the promises of God's salvation. That's why Matthew's giving this Also, we talked about genealogies in general with Jews and how Jews were the audience of Matthew. 
the Jews had learned through the old covenant that in order to determine who was in the covenant, they had to be uh, of the genealogy of Abraham. So they kept close and accurate records of their genealogies registered. And the same is true in a sense with the Messiah because God promised that he would come from the blood of Abraham and from the blood of David. So to look back like a diligent Jew to see and to show and to demonstrate that he comes from Abraham and David is critical for the Messiah to be proven. And that's exactly what this section proves, is that Jesus is of Abraham and David. More can be said. Uh, We also looked at uh, the themes of Matthew. I addressed those briefly. One of those is primarily that Jesus is the the long-awaited king, the son of David. And often you'll hear that phrase in Matthew, son of David. You even see it twice in chapter or chapter 1 verse 6 and also at the beginning of verse 1 there in application this morning we talked about the fact that God is faithful and he has fulfilled his promise to bring forth his messiah and that Jesus of Nazareth is the messiah that because God reveals himself through history with the fulfillment of Jesus's genealogy as faithful as unchanging, it is a call for you to turn to him, to put your trust in the rock of salvation, and to specifically put your faith in Jesus Christ. So now, picking up with the genealogy. We talked about some of the nuances that Matthew's bringing out. Uh, He's skipping things. He's pointing out things. He's adding things that weren't in 1 Chronicles, such as Tamar. Tamar was in 1 Chronicles, but not Rahab, and not Ruth in the same way. Also, he just brushes over the rest of the tribes of Judah, or uh, of Jacob, and focuses on Judah, and we saw that God is showing through the pen of Matthew that he has fulfilled his word. He has been faithful to his promise, uh, given with Judah, given with Abraham, given with David, and that he's doing it by his wisdom, by manifesting his glory, uh, contrary to our wisdom, He's demonstrating that he is sovereign over all things. Time is his domain. He he is sovereign over time. He is sovereign over creation. Everything that comes to pass is according to his decree. And he's doing things that give him glory and him alone that no man can take credit for in the bloodline of Christ. So having considered those things, let's move on to uh, part two. And I do want to highlight another truth with, uh, with this genealogy. It's the grace of God. Uh, we, we know that's implied in a sense, but it's, we need to highlight it because look at who God is working through. Look at who God is 
bringing forth the Messiah from. He's bringing it from the unexpected sinners, a prostitute, a Canaanite, uh, Judah who has these promises and yet is sinning and wanting to burn his daughter-in-law. Um, God is gracious and he has fulfilled his promise to bring forth his Messiah to an unworthy world. It does remind me of that prayer that you made when uh, in this manner, God loved the world, that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, so that each believing one would have eternal life. So think of the grace of God in him in exercising his sovereign rule and bringing forth his son who is the gospel. Despite man's ignorance, foolishness, and sin. So one thing to to note is Matthew's genealogy is different than Luke's. So let's look at Luke's. It's in Luke chapter 3. I'm going somewhere with this. Might be all that we have the time for. (laughs) But it'll be, I I believe, profitable for us to see something here. And I want to focus on particularly Luke 3, 23 through 27. Um, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age being as was supposed, the son of Joseph. And notice here, the next one in line, this is in reverse order. Uh, We're going not up to Christ, we're starting at Christ, or down to Christ, we're starting at Christ and working backwards in um, Luke. And he goes all the way to Adam, but I'm just going to focus on this first part here. The son of Joseph, who is the son of Heli, over in Matthew, who was the son, who was the father of Joseph? Let me read that. It was Jacob. So something's going on in these two genealogies. Also, look at in Matthew, after David, we have Solomon begot Rehoboam. But if you go and look at David in verse 31 in Luke's gospel, go backwards, the son of David. Well, who was the son of David? The son of Nathan. So Nathan, not Solomon. So Luke is tracing the line the same as Matthew from Abraham, of course, he goes back to Adam, but he gets, they both get to Abraham, and then they get to David. And from David, he had multiple sons. Matthew focuses in on the Solomon line of David, and Luke focuses in on the Nathan line of David. Now, they both have in their genealogy Shealtiel and Zerubbabel because I believe Shealtiel was made a legal son of Jeconiah. That's why he shows up here, but he wasn't a biological son. And that happens a lot, uh, uh, I've noticed, in the genealogies. Um, So what 
how do we interpret this with Joseph being the son of Heli and the son of Jacob? You can't have two fathers. And why do we have two different genealogies? There's different thoughts on that. Um, there are different explanations. However, I understand Luke's line to be the physical line of Mary. And Mary's not the one said here, though. It says Joseph, right? I mean, Mary's not even mentioned here by Luke. So why am I saying that? <laughs> um, I believe Joseph, instead of Mary, is mentioned because I believe Joseph was identified as a son of Heli who had no sons. Uh, and that's not uncommon to happen with Jews to have someone legally become a son when you have none. And I want to look at that in Numbers 27. Actually, let's just look at Numbers 36, just Numbers 36. We'll go to one place. And particularly verse 7 and 8. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe. So that the children of Israel may each possess the inheritance of his father's. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. So here it says, every daughter who possesses an inheritance uh, in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe. And in a sense, that man will become part of her lineage, her father's lineage. So, that's how I understand Luke and Heli is Joseph was not biologically from Heli. He was biologically from Jacob. But in that lineage where we're getting the physical descendancy of Christ, which is coming down through Nathan on down to Heli, we get to what would have been Mary, but we have Joseph to maintain through this, him coming in to uh, marry her or betroth her as uh, a son. So having said that, let's look at Jeconiah in Roman, or, uh, Matthew 1. It says, Josiah begot Jeconiah. Josiah was a good and faithful king. He begot Jeconiah who was not. Another name in the Bible for Jeconiah is Kaniah. Another name for Jeconiah other than Kaniah is Jehoiachin. So let's look and see something about Jeconiah because what happened here between Joseph and Jeconiah is a gap. There's some other fathers in there. The actual immediate father to Jeconiah was Jehoiakim. Uh, 
So let's go look at Jehoiakim. If you will, uh, I'm going to just read this to you so you know Jehoiakim is the father of Jeconiah. It's 1 Chronicles 3, verse 16. The sons of Jehoiakim were Jeconiah his son and Zedekiah his son. There you go. Now, turn to Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah doesn't arrange his writings chronologically. So there are things that occur earlier in Jeremiah that actually happen later in history, in time. And the way you know where you are is based on the kings and the year of the king. But here, I want you to see how the acting king at that time destroys the word of God, the scroll that Jeremiah had sent to him. And it's in verse, chapter 36, verse 23. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king, nor any of his servants who heard all these words. Elnathan, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gamariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And 26, and the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid, hid them. Now, skip to 29. This is what the, what the Lord does in response. And you shall say to Jeho- Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it? that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. This is God pronouncing a curse upon Jehoiakim, who is part of the kingly line of Christ, that his descendants would not sit on the throne. Jehoiakim is part of that royal line. So if if Luke is the physical blood line of Christ through Mary, Matthew's the royal kingly line. And if in that royal kingly line we have Jehoiakim here in Jeremiah receiving a curse for all his descendants, how is it that Christ is made to rule? Now turn with me to Jeremiah 22. And this is 
This prophecy actually came later in time, but it's earlier in the book. Twenty-eight. Is this man Kaniah, that's Jeconiah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So if Jesus is in this lineage, how is he not cursed being born under the law? It's a good question, right? Look at verse 1 of chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. And that's a direct reference to Kaniah. That's a direct reference to Jehoiakim and false prophets. Therefore, says, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. That's the promise of Christ. So we're back to, we have the promise of Christ, but we have the curse of the seed or the lineage. This is all consistent in the wisdom of God because God would bring forth his Messiah only not through David's son, Jeconiah, because it was cursed. Although Christ is of the royal legal lineage of David through Jeconiah, which is the Solomonic royal lineage, he was not physically born in that lineage. Instead, Jesus was physically born in Solomon's brother's lineage, Nathan, which we read in Luke 3.31. Since Christ was born a virgin, he does not assume the curse of Jeconiah's physical lineage through Joseph, yet is of that royal lineage, lineage by law. Therefore, God brings forth his Messiah according to his promises and simultaneously not under the kingly curse. He is faithful and gracious despite the sin of Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, and men. He's gracious in that he does these things to promise his, his son, the Lord, our righteousness, a branch of righteousness out of David, despite the curse over here. Verse 
praise the Lord. Let's go back to Matthew. After Zerubbabel, in verse 13, we do not have any more Old Testament record of Christ's genealogy, so this is the record that you have right here, the Word of God. You do not have it repeating in the Old Testament after Zerubbabel. The lineages of Matthew and Luke occurred when they come after Zerubbabel, when they're documenting Christ's genealogy. They occurred during the 400 intertestamental period years, which were prophetically silent years. Nonetheless, we have scripture according to Matthew and Luke. There is an inference to be made here about the faithfulness and grace of God, not unlike that which we've already addressed. That is, with the fact that these people are unknown. They didn't, they're, they're in the silent years, so to speak, obscure from history. And there's something to be observed with this, that the undisclosed, the obscure, the weak are also instruments which God uses just as he does the well-known, the famous, and the strong. Joseph was a mere carpenter. He was not rich. Mary is not a mighty woman by the world's standards, yet God chose her to be the mother of the Son of God. In fact, just as with the end of Christ's genealogy, God is always working. He's working in ways that you haven't even imagined. He told Job, I've been thinking of this text, he said, Job, where were you when the fawn gave birth, or the deer gave birth to the fawn? He's upholding creation, sustaining it, and all things are working for his glory and our good and through Christ. For this reason, the Jews persecuted and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. For you see, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 29, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the, thing, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are for this purpose, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's amazing to me that even despite the fact that we have had the illumination of the Spirit, that we still glory in ourselves. And of course, those who are in bondage still glory ceaselessly. But we can testify in the inner man that there is no glory in us. And that these things, such as God bringing forth his Messiah through Mary and also keeping the the legal line through Joseph, that he is the one who deserves and is glorious. In Matthew's conclusion in verse 17, he says, 
There are 14 generations, there are 14 generations, and there are 14 generations. The only worthwhile explanation I've heard and considered by laboring to employ solid hermeneutics is that seven is a common biblical number representing perfection, and three fourteens is six sevens, essentially. For example, Brian Borgman posited that same theory. I don't know the author's meaning in choosing the fourteens specifically. However, I know that he skipped generations in order to assemble his structure, which is numerically symmetrical and complete. Given that it is scripture, and by the analogy of faith, knowing that Christ is the fulfillment of not only the Old Testament, but of the entire redemptive history, I see Matthew highlighting that fact, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of history. That's why Adam has a place in time and history. That's why the earth was created. That's why the stars are in the heavens. That's why we are on the earth. It's because God sent forth his son to, who is the express image of his person, to manifest his glory through the name of his son, the eternal son. And Matthew's essentially saying, all these years, perfectly according to plan, God has brought forth his son and he is here. Finally, that which the created and fallen order has been awaiting has arrived. The son of David, the son of Abraham, the eternal son of God has come in, come in the likeness of men for the redemption of men and creation to the glory of God. Therefore, brothers, rejoice because he has made you a co-inheritor with his son that you might know him for this is eternal life, that you might know him. Remember, God is faithful and he fulfills and has fulfilled this promise and he will fulfill his promises. Again, as I said this morning, and as James says, cleanse your hands, you double-minded. Look to the Lord God in the face of Jesus Christ. See from the genealogy his faithful, steady, unchanging nature. He is immutable. He is not only unchangeable, but sovereign. His power cannot be measured. He speaks and stars come into existence. Sin cannot withstand him. He can humble anyone. He can raise the dead. And remember that Jesus Christ is this Messiah. He is God's Messiah. He is the only begotten Son. He is the one to whom Isaac on the altar pointed to. He is the one in whom Abraham heard the promise that in your seed, he is the one that the serpent heard in the garden that he will crush your head. He is the one that Judah was told he, he will be, the, the scepter will not depart. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah until Shiloh comes. He is the one David heard that one will come who will sit on your throne. 
He is the branch. And remember that God is gracious. That despite all the sin of history, despite your sin, despite all the things that we do in our weakness and in our evil nature, he has fulfilled his promise to bring forth his Messiah to an unworthy world. And he calls you to trust him, to have eternal life. If you're a believer, he calls you to continue to trust him, to turn from your sins and continue to depend on him who is faithful and gracious. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for the genealogy in all of scripture. Uh, We know that it is to teach us and to reveal to us your name, particularly your glory in the face of Christ Jesus. We praise you, Lord, for doing the impossible for us, that which is not impossible for you, for redeeming creation and particularly our souls and bodies. We look forward to the redemption of our bodies and pray that you would help us to live faithfully in uh, Christ. Amen.